You're listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels. My name is Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 45. For this episode, you'll be meeting Cindy Brown. She has an extensive background in the theater as a musician, actor, director, producer, and playwright. And she now writes uh, mystery novels. And her debut novel, Macbeth, was nominated for an Agatha Award for Best Debut Novel. The latest novel in her series, Ivy Get Your Gun, is going to be out on, soon here on May 16th. And we'll be talking to Cindy about her novels, her writing process, the theater world, and a lot more. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to ask you to please help me get the word out for this podcast. And the best way you can do that, uh, besides telling everybody you know, is by hopping on over to iTunes and uh, leaving your rating and a review on there for this uh, podcast. So I really would appreciate that. So without further ado, let's get on to episode number 45 with Cindy Brown. Cindy, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. We even saw a little bit of blue sky here in Portland. Oh, oh it's yeah. It's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A big difference from you. I read in your bio, you're originally from Phoenix. So that must be like a, a big adjustment for you, sunwise. It is. It is. It's, it's funny, though. I mean, I was I was actually raised in the Pacific Northwest and then spent most of my adult life in, in Arizona. And I love Arizona, but I used to actually dream of rain. Oh, there you go. So you got it. <laughs> you got yeah, dream. so I came back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so you know what you were getting into. <laughs> mm-hmm, I did. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and the books that you write? Sure, yeah. I am a, kind of a theater geek from way back. I had my first professional job in the theater at age 14 as a musician. And then I stayed in the theater kind of as a hobby for a while and then made a career of it for about, I was a working actor for about seven years. And then a couple of things decided made me decide to not do, pursue it as a career, but kept up with it, um, kept directing, and, and then started writing plays. I was writing comedies. I love comedy. And there, one day I moved up to Portland, and uh, one day, I don't know if it was Portland or what happened, but one day I woke up with a character in my head, and she didn't belong in a play any. She didn't belong in a play. I'd been writing plays and screenplays. I'd never tried a novel. So, but this character came to me. Her name was Ivy Meadows, and I knew she was an actor, and I knew she was a part-time private investigator because I actually had known a guy when I was in theater that did that. I thought that was pretty cool. And I knew she was in Macbeth because it's a cursed play. If you know anything about the the history of it, there's all sorts of death and destruction that happens during productions of Macbeth. But I also knew she didn't fit into a play. Uh, I knew she needed her own book and hopefully a series of books. And I'd been a big mystery reader for a long time. So I'd, I'd been writing professionally for a while. But once I got up here, I decided to learn how to write a novel. And it took me a while, but it turned out pretty good. And uh, Macbeth is that the first one? Is that your first novel? Yeah. So yeah, Macbeth is my Macbeth is my first novel, and uh, and yeah, I got published, which I know a lot of people have novels in um, drawers and things. Although I have to say, it went through a lot of changes to get published. I I had to do some huge huge rewrites to get it into uh, marketable form. Writers usually think when they're done, it's when you write the end, it's over, and it's just kind of like the beginning. <laughs> oh yeah, and I you know I really love revising actually. In fact, it it used to be that first drafts were kind of my favorite part because I loved just figuring out the the story and where things were going. But to tell you the truth, now my favorite—I think my favorite part is 
is after I've already kind of got that out and when I get to play with it, it comes just as alive anymore. It used to feel like editing and now it just feels like a different part of writing and reading. It's, it's interesting. I feel like I'm kind of reading my books as I'm going along, you know? Yeah, yeah, that part is kind of cool. When you're, when you're first done, you're like, oh, okay, that was good. Oh, no, that, that was not good. I'm taking that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, oh, wait, look over here. She's She's got to turn that direction and see this over here. And this character suddenly appears. And So it's really cool how you were able to, you say you enjoyed to read uh, reading mysteries, and you were able to combine that with an actress um, and a PI. So that kind of involved both things things that you love, the, the theater and then the mystery genre. Yeah, and then I was also, I've always been a huge reader. Um, uh, people ask sometimes if I wrote as a, as a child, and I wrote a little bit, but I was really more about reading. And, and so I just get to combine, yeah, reading and writing and acting, and not acting, but theater. And it's really kind of funny because the theater influences my writing in a lot of ways. I think partly you'll notice my books are pretty heavy on dialogue, or dialogue-driven. They're dialogue and character-driven, I think, which is a definite theater thing, especially from a, a playwright's angle. But also, it's it's kind of cool because it's almost like... It, I love directing in the theater because you kind of get you get to create a whole world, and you get to say, "Oh, I want the you know this character to look this way and wear this costume, and the set's going to do this, and you're going to have a you know a, a old barn with weathered wood." and And now I get to do that as a writer, but I get to do it on a really big scale, and I also get to you know create things. My books are um, my books. I call them madcap mysteries because they're. They're a little screwball in terms of the sense of humor. And one of the things I have a really good time with is creating plays, having Ivy star in plays that probably would never get produced because they're either too wacky or too um, difficult. So I can, you know, play around with that in fiction and create, for example, Macbeth is a production of Macbeth in a, in a circus themed uh, a circus theme production of Macbeth, which is pretty silly to begin with. And, you know, then I, I I put in some special effects that would be really hard to pull off on stage, but I can pull them off in a book. It's really fun. Yeah, do you find that more liberating when writing a book versus a, a screenplay or a play? In a way, because the, the problem with screenplays, definitely, because the thing about a screenplay is I see it in my head, but it never feels completely finished until it's filmed. And I've had two short films filmed no long films and so they kind of feel a little unfinished because like because nobody really unless somebody loves to read screenplays they're not going to be seeing them plays were a little different because i would get to see them but yeah i'd be working with directors and actors and it was interesting one of my plays uh is called dog lovers and it's the only play that i've seen twice being produced with different actors and it was so different each time because the actors and the director were different. And so that's really interesting, too, because I know that people, when they read my books, they're probably imagining things, you know, differently. They're probably seeing the places slightly differently than I do or you do the settings. Mm -hmm. But probably it's not as apparent as when I see my play and it looks, you know, completely different from two different directors. And when you first started, decided to write the book, did you were you like, um, did you just like dive into it, or did you like read some books to see if how, how to how to do that, or were you like, oh, I got this stuff? 
You know, um, kind of both. I've always been a diver in yeah. of, of things. And, you know, one of the things I think about theater is it kind of teaches you that you can learn to do things. One of the, I, I just read a, a, a quote that I really liked by a, a woman who's the um, CEO of a, a nonprofit now. And she came from the theater world and she said it was great because it taught you to do what you needed to do with what you have. And, and I think it's true. You really just decide. If somebody asks you to do something, you just figure out how to do it in theater. And I think there's a little bit in that way in writing. So when I, I knew I wanted to do this, um, I was in Portland, which is a great... Portland, Oregon is a really good reading and writing town. It's a very supportive environment that way. And I had met somebody in a meetup group when I was here earlier uh, visiting. And she was a playwright. And she was writing a novel. So we decided to get together with a couple other people writing novels that she'd met. And we formed my first critique group. And so I started working with the critique group right away to try and figure out how to write a novel. And then there are a bunch of uh, writing organizations here in town. Um, the one that I found really, really helpful is called Oregon Writers Colony. And they uh, put on lots of different workshops and things. And so I just took workshops and read books and, you know, went to my critique groups. So and my critique groups have changed uh, as time has gone on. I've gone to different groups, but I find it really, really helpful to get that outside influence. Um, so I kind of dove in, but I dove in with a really good support system. I really like your play on words with your titles, by the way. And Macbeth, uh, Oliver Twisted, and then The Sound of Murder. That's, yes. The, the one that's coming up. <laughs> It hasn't been published yet, but it's coming up, right? <laughs> no, The Sound of Murder. So The Sound of Murder is the second. So Macdeath is the first. Oh, okay. The Sound of Murder is the second. Oliver Twisted is the third. That was out last June. I have one coming up. In, it's being released in May on May 16th, and that's Ivy Get Your Gun. Oh, okay. Wow. Another yeah. good one. <laughs> yeah. And then I, uh, I, have, I know I have two more in the series because mm-hmm. uh, I, I have a contract right now for six. I'm with Henry Press, which is a... Um, a small award-winning press out of Texas. I uh, really, I love them. They specialize in kind of light mysteries. And um, the one I'm working on right now, which is set in a haunted theater, is called The Phantom of Oz. But I'm I'm open for other titles for that one. So just, you know, you and your listeners, if you come up with a, a title, let me know. It's definitely a haunted theater, and there's a Wizard of Oz production being put on. <laughs> and then the, the sixth one right now i think is going to be called kill a lot that may be my favorite title actually which is what's that one to play on camelot oh of course yes (laughs) like it like it yeah and so now well it's fascinating too because you know you you came to it at least from writing a a novel a book um was new to you but uh i was reading that your first uh your your debut novel received the agatha award can you tell me a little bit about that award and and how that that must have been so uh exhilarating how can you tell us a little bit about that yeah and actually i was nominated i did not win but it was still really exhilarating it's still an honor uh, to be nominated right (laughs) i know and you know what people you know i always i didn't understand when people would say that on you know award shows and things but I completely felt it. Yeah. Um, because the Agatha Award, it's um, it's it's an award for traditional mysteries, which means um, they're, they're, the definition of traditional mystery for them is uh, 
a crime is committed and it's within the it's within an, the person who is killed knows their killer okay so it's a it's within a circle of people they know that's a traditional mystery as opposed to like a police procedural where the police might be going out to find somebody or or a political thriller or something like that. So Agatha Christie, you know, mm-hmm. as is obviously a traditional mystery writer, the victim is always killed by someone they know. Um, and then also the Agathas, they don't want too much sex or gore on the page. Mine do not have to. And and they uh, and they're typically, even though they don't say it, they typically don't like a lot of f bombs. Uh, they're good with other language, but that's not usually. I I don't know if that would boot you out of the running, but it's not usually one of the things in a traditional mystery. So, so yeah, there's only five of us in the U S and Canada that get nominated. And I was one of them. And my friend, Art, uh, Taylor, who is also with Henry press, he won, uh, this was last year. And the other cool thing is besides being nominated is when your friend wins, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, it's all good. Yeah. If not me, then you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's exciting. And so that's the part now uh, in like, uh, so you said Ivy Meadows, she's in her in in, in Macbeth, for example, she's putting on this play and then this uh, a murder happens at, during the play. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And so the first one and uh, I set up. So she, at the very beginning in Macbeth, she's not a private investigator. She is an actor who is got a day works at the Olive Garden, you know, as a waiter, which a lot most actors have day jobs. And when she gets fired from that particular job for, because her rehearsal schedule is crazy, which is the other thing that happens all the time. I don't know how people, I mean, it's, it's actually really hard to have a day job when you're an actor because your rehearsals, your schedule's so odd. So she gets fired and her uncle who runs a private investigative firm hires her part time because I really wanted, which helps her then of course with the investigation because she has a little bit more tools. She gets a little bit more knowledge from her uncle. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One is with a lot of what we call amateur sleuths, you know, they're always running into bodies mm-hmm. and they call it the Cabot Cove syndrome from murder. She wrote, oh, you know, yeah. how like, but yeah. in Cabot Cove's death had to be dead by now. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I never completely liked that. I wanted more of a reason for Ivy to be able to investigate. So the nice thing about having her become a PI in training, and then she's going to be a PI by the, well, she's still working on her license right now, but she should be a PI pretty soon. Uh, but the nice thing about that is she can be put into situations which are already problematic. There's already people missing. There's already things going on. She can be called in to investigate. So I really liked that. And I also like the fact that she's not very good at it at first so that she doesn't have all the tools she needs, which can kind of make it, what well, makes it funnier, I think, for one thing. And, uh, and then also gives her a place to go in terms of growing through the series. Yeah, and then, oh, yeah, that's a, good, that's a very good point. You can watch her, the character develop into a PI from, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very good. And what's, uh, and, and you said at first, um, I mean, humor is an important part of, of your books, of your series? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, in fact, I would definitely say, I mean, that's, if you had to ask me what they are, I mean, I call them madcap mysteries set in the off, off, off Broadway world of theater. But if you ask me what I was writing, I would say a humor, humorous mystery. I would definitely say that. And the reviews agree with me. So that's good. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> so now where do you get these, all your ideas for these all these murders going on and, uh, and, and the humor? 
the murders, I can talk about that first. Mm-hmm. And it's different every book. It's interesting because I have a ton. I, I'm one of those people that just has a ton of ideas to begin with. I mean, I walked, if you'd asked me to come up with five book ideas walking two blocks, I could, probably could. But um, the first one in Macbeth, I knew I wanted to use the cur- a cursed play. Um, because you know Macbeth is Macbeth is supposed to be cursed, and so I knew I wanted the play to happen. I had an idea who I wanted to be killed, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and so that one, I just had to kind of figure out, you know, the motivation and the characters and things. The second idea for Ivy Get Your or um, um, the Sound of Murder came about because it's it takes place. Well, my dad was on a posse in Arizona. And I and I, I thought this was so cool. What happened is in Maricopa County, there was a sheriff who was famous for a while. He, he's uh, not a sheriff any longer. His name was Joe Arpaio. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Tent, the tent guy. And, yeah, the tent guy. Exactly. And he also, he Maricopa County is actually really big and a lot of it's unincorporated. Mm-hmm. And he felt like he didn't have enough staff. So he found a law on the Arizona books that said a sheriff could still have a posse, right? And so he established, like, there were, and I think that they've kept them, the new sheriff has kept them, but there is, I think there are about 90 of them. There's cold case posses and, um, you know, all these different kind of people that are basically, it's volunteer law enforcement. And my dad, uh, and my mom still works at this one, my dad doesn't, he's, uh, he's not doing it any longer, he was on a posse for a retirement community called Sun City West, which is basically a town. It's a uh, like thirty five thousand people, and they have they have no police station because they're unincorporated. So they have this kind of volunteer police posse, and it's made up of retired guys, right, and uh, and women. And so I loved that idea, and I realized for the sound of murder, I wanted to play with. I wanted to have something happening with the posse in Sun City West in this retirement community. So I set the whole thing there. And I the murder came about because my dad had said once, he came home for posse duty and said, there have been a lot of suicides lately. We don't usually, and, and I, my murder mystery brain just went off from there and of course went, yeah, what if they're not suicides? <laughs> what if they're murderers? So that was that one. And then Oliver Twisted is weird. Oliver Twisted kind of came from it kind of came from the Dickens and from the story, the actual murder, um, because I wanted to play with pickpockets because of all are twisted. And I wanted to play with the class structure because in uh, Dickens and especially in Oliver twisted, but all of Dickens, a lot of it is, you know, the real divide between the poor and the rich. And then sometimes you get some working class folk in there too. And so I set it on a, a cruise ship because it's one of the few places that I could think of currently where you had really, you know, people of very different economic realities in the same setting because you've got the travelers who have enough money to cruise and then you've got the crew who are often not well off at all and sending money home back to Eastern Europe or, you know, different places where they live. So I thought that'd be really fun to play with. And then really quickly, the, um, the next one, I be get your gun, which I'm really excited about. I think it may be my favorite book so far. The story of that one 
was my my mom. I don't know. Does your mom send you like newspaper clippings? Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> She's on Facebook <laughs> now too, so now it's like yeah, too, now it's right? links. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our links exactly. So yeah, she sends both now. She sent this newspaper clipping uh, about a year and a half ago now, and in Tombstone, Arizona, that's where they had the uh, the gunfight at the OK Corral, right? Mm-hmm. So they always do these recreations, you know, with actors playing the cowboys, and they do the gunfight at the OK Corral. Well, November of nineteen or two thousand fifteen, I guess it was, one of the actors had real bullets in his gun. And he shot the other actor. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, he winged a tourist. And, I mean, he didn't kill him. He uh, he just you know, shot him and the guy had to be taken to the hospital, air back to the hospital. But I was like, well, there's the beginning of a novel right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I Get Your Gun started off with, you know, that's that's where the idea for that one came. It was like straight out of the newspaper. It's interesting to look at your website, too, like how when we're writing how the ideas come from like such weird little places and I was looking at your website and looking at the best places to hide the body <laughs> now that <laughs> that is fun so I gotta tell people to go to cindybrownwriter.com and I'll have links and everything but just go click on best places to hide the body <laughs> how did that come about yeah. <laughs> and I do that and I uh, it's really funny I I came up with that several years ago and I found this really great I was just walking downtown and I was like oh my god look at that it'd be a great place to hide a body and then I just kind of <laughs> keep looking and now every place I go I have people you know I try to find places people send me stuff people send me photographs um, from places they've been and good places to hide dead bodies and uh, I do actually I do it every month in my newsletter, so I have a, uh, a photograph of a good place to hide a dead body every month in the newsletter. <laughs> and uh, some of them are pretty inventive. Yeah, the ones you have on your website are pretty uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. And the, my favorite are when people pose. I, I, get, I like to get other authors and the readers to bookstore owners and things to pose, and that's that's the best. <laughs> How much research goes into into when you're writing these books? Do you like do a lot of research on on murders and deaths and things like things like that, or? Uh, I do, actually. I know, and it sounds funny because, you know, I write light mysteries, and so I think sometimes people think because they're light, they're probably not, I don't want to say they're not researched, but they may not think about it. But I do a a lot of research. Everything from, I make sure that the forensics are all correct. I have a a listserv that I belong to that I really would love to give a shout-out to. It's called Crime Scene Listserv, and it's a Yahoo group, and it is composed of... Um, forensic scientists and first responders, policemen, firemen, uh, private detectives, all sorts of people, and writers. And you can post a question on there and just say, you know, for example, um, what kind of gun, you know, might a detective in 1950s L.A. carry? And somebody will know it. And or you might say, what happens to a body after four days in a hot car in Phoenix? And somebody will know it. And there'll often be a you know a nice discussion that happens too, so you get some good detail out of it. So I use that, and then I also do a lot of um, in-person research because I uh, I really like to to feel the settings um, and talk to the people that work in places. So, for example, for this newest book that I Ivy Get Your Gun. There's a blacksmith shop in it, so I uh, I found a blacksmith here in Portland, and he had and he has a coal-fired forge, which is important as 
course, to a gas-fired forge. And I went out and spent a couple hours with them. And it's it's not a very big scene in the book, and there's a couple scenes there. But I just wanted to get the feel of what it was like and what he did and what it smelled like and felt like. Um, and then sometimes I'm asking really specific questions. Like I went to uh, Ivy Get Your Gun takes place in a Western theme town that's a fictional town, kind of like, you know, Tombstone might be. Or I found this great, uh, there's a town uh, outside Phoenix in Apache Junction called Goldfield Ghost Town, which basically a guy, uh, Bob Schuess, bought this ghost town that had a mine on it and just started building buildings, uh, uh, made it into it like a tourist town, right? They recreated different kinds of buildings. And uh, you can go there and, you know, tour a mystery house or go into a mine or they've got a bordello museum. Hmm. And uh, so I went out and I got, I contacted him and went, you know, to Goldfield, not just to get the feel of the place, but also to talk to like the cowboy actors and see how they fill their guns and how could you actually exchange, you know, bullets for blanks and those kind of things. So I, I really enjoy it. I like the research a lot, and I think it adds a lot to my books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's uh, so important for readers, too, especially nowadays, because they can, like, comment. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they have to, I think especially, like, in a mystery or a thriller, mm-hmm. to me, you have to trust that the author's giving you the right information. And if I, if I suddenly read along and feel like, somebody didn't do their research or I've got the wrong information. I don't know. It kind of breaks that trust with me as a reader. And I, and I, I'm not as into it anymore. Do you find that? Oh yeah. Yeah. It sucks, sucks me right out of the story. If, it's, if something's wrong, it's like, Oh, wait a second. That's not right. <laughs> and then exactly. You're, and then and I mean, you're back in reality. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really careful about that. Oh, and I have a PI that in Arizona, because um, there was a PI on the, uh, the crime scene listserv. But he said, you know, Arizona is really different. Every state's different in terms of some of the legalities around private investigative work, which I didn't know. And he said Arizona was especially different. I think we've got some interesting laws on the books there. So I finally, I just actually went online and uh, Googled a bunch of private investigators until I found one that somebody said had a sense of humor. (laughs) And I just asked him uh, online if he would, you know, help me out with questions. And he's been great. I've been in contact with him for a couple of years now, and he helps me out a lot. His name's John Hopper, if anybody ever needs a uh, a PI in in Phoenix. Oh, there we go. Now now we're getting some good resources and everything for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you found people are receptive like that? Like, John, when you ask for help, you know, like you're writing a book, and people are pretty pretty open? People are great. It's it's kind of amazing, actually, because I'm always a little afraid to call up and tell them, especially because I'm usually going to be, you know, a lot of the time... I'll have to say, I really want to talk to you and find out about your profession. And by the way, you're probably going to be a suspect or a killer. (laughs) (laughs) But people are great. Um, I mean, like the, like John has been fabulous. I've never met him in person. We've talked a couple of times and I'm hoping to meet him in person this next trip I'm doing to Arizona. Um, But like Arnon, um, for the blacksmith here at Columbia, oh shoot, I wish I had the name. The name is just escaping me right now. Columbia, Columbia something. He was fabulous. I mean, I expected to kind of go and spend, you know, maybe 20 minutes seeing what a coal-fired forge looked like. And he talked to me for a long time. I mean, I was probably there for two hours. And he showed me all sorts of different things. And then he also kind of talked to me about, like, the philosophy of forging that he has. And it really informed my book a lot. So I, I find people are really, oh, here's a really other cool thing. So 
I was, um, when I was researching Oliver Twisted, it takes place on a cruise ship, but I'd only been on one cruise and it was like 10 years before. And, uh, I didn't have the time or money to go on a cruise when I was doing the book. So I just kind of kept asking around and asking around and asking around. And finally I found out that Holland America has uh, their offices in Seattle and so I contacted them and say, hey, when one of your ships is in port, is there any way I could get a tour? Oh. And they said yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a private tour of a cruise ship um, in Seattle. It was great from Holland America. They just took me through the whole thing. And, you know, and I got to get a really good feel for it. And I got to see some places that people usually don't see, like the theater dressing rooms and the, uh, oh, shoot, I've lost my, the word, the medical, not the hospital. What do they call it? It's like. What do they call it on Star Trek? The oh, the medical bay. Bay, yes, yeah. sick bay, yes, sick that's bay. it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. so I got to see all that. It was great. Oh yeah, it is cool. That would never, never would have occurred to me to do that. Yeah, I think sometimes as writers, you kind of get you little, you get a little sheepish about asking. But yeah, what's the worst? That, what's the worst that can happen? I'll say no. So <laughs> I know, and you know, people are usually kind of excited to talk about if if they like what they do, they're usually mm-hmm. kind of excited to talk about it. So, what's your writing process like? Do you um, do you have like uh, do you outline the stories thoroughly, or do you kind of write as you go? You know, it's interesting. It's changed with each book. The one thing I uh, that I do do for every book, I kind of work from dramatic structure. So I have in screenplay language or or an inciting incident, something that kicks mm-hmm. off the story, and then a first and second act turning point something that really shifts, you know, between the first and second act, a midpoint, something big that happens in the middle of the book, and then the uh, the kind of climax and denouement. So I know there's those different points. And I always know what those points are before I start. And I always um, spend a lot of time on character. I have some of those notebooks, those um, composition books, the kind of hardback books, and I usually fill, if it's not all the way full, it's half full before I even start. And a lot of that is work on character. I want to know each of my characters and I want to know, you know, their motivations and their secrets and what they want and what they think they want, what they really want and all these and how they're connected to people. So I do a lot of, of character background, and then I have those other plot points. And then, depending on the book, I, I find right now I'm writing quickly because I'm under deadline. Mm. Quickly for me. <laughs> and so I tend to um, outline more when I have less time, So which I find kind of interesting, But I because I, I kind of don't have the time to kind of noodle around and say, now what happens? So I tend to outline a little bit more right now. But I also find if I outline too much, I'm not as, I don't know, I uh, I think I have a harder time getting into the zone sometimes when I'm outlining. Because I think it's more of a left brain thing for me. Yeah, it takes out some of the fun out of it. Kind of. So not completely, but it's interesting. Um, and like I said, it, it seems to change from book to book um, how much of it I do. So, but 
the one thing, like I said, I always hear those those plot points and the characters, and those are really that that's always worked really well for me. And how did the the process work for you then? Once you're done, uh, do you like send the completed first draft or to the uh, to an editor, or or do you, or just oh, chunk no. by chunk? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> no, I have to do a lot of revisions. Um, my first draft is a big hot mess. I mean, it's just, and I am seriously, people think I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. I am seriously the worst typist you will ever meet. I'm, I am so bad that sometimes I can't read my typing. (laughs) So I have to go back. So I have, I usually have a first incredibly, incredibly messy draft. I go back and I clean it up into a second draft and fill in all the transition problems and plug some holes and things, but I make notes as I go along. And then I usually have another draft where I look at it structurally. I put it on index cards and I look at it structurally to see if my subplots, you know, if I ever, if I ever like left a subplot for too long or um, if I there's a character maybe that appeared in, you know, chapter three and didn't appear again until chapter 33. (laughs) So I usually do kind of a structural rewrite and then I send it to first readers who tell me all the plot holes that I've missed. Then I do another rewrite and then I send it on to my editor. And even from then, um, I I really love my press because I think that one of the reasons I love them, I think do a great job editing. So I get a developmental edit so she sends it back to me in about a month with developmental edits. I get another month to do that. I come back. Then we have another edit, which is a, uh, a red line, but I still have the opportunity to do pretty big changes at that point. And sometimes they'll ask for some, you know, mm-hmm. um, not huge changes, but they might say, I think you need a chapter about blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, pretty big chapters, changes. And then I have another chance one more time before it goes out to print to do more like a proofread and a small, you know, so the smaller changes. So it goes through a ton of revision. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the first draft. Nobody reads but the first draft, but me. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. I mean, seriously, if, if anybody did, they would not believe I was a professional writer. They would. Nope. And do you set up like a, uh, uh, do you write every day and do you set like a word, like a, I'm going to write 2000 words a day. Do you have like a goal in mind? You know, yes and no. I try really, I I write every day. I do write every day. And it's interesting. I I set goals for myself. They're usually, when I'm on first draft phase, I try to set a word point, a word goal. But it can be tough because sometimes, you know, I'm flying and sometimes I'm really pulling it out. So I try to set those word goals rather than daily. Like having a 2,000 words a day, I might try to make sure I have 10,000 words a week. Because some days it, it just is better than others. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny, um, and this is going to sound weird, but I we got a new dog. We got a new dog in June. And he's a terrier mix. And he's lovely. He's the sweetest, cutest little dog in the world. And he's also a terrier mix. <laughs> and he's two years old, and he's probably got some Jack Russell in him. And he does not let me write for more than like, oh, an hour and a half, two hours at a time. (laughs) 
And so I've had to really, this last book has been really difficult. And actually there are times when I just take, I, I have to leave the house, take myself to the library or to a tea shop or something and, and write. It's been, it's been kind of hard, but I, I do have internal deadlines that I try to follow. And especially because I, I really do rely on first readers. Um, and I think it's, they usually find something or say something pretty important to me. I mean, it's, as I go along, you know, they're not, the problems are getting smaller, thank heavens. <laughs> but, you know, they usually do find something where they they wonder why a character did something because the motivation wasn't clear or they want to know more about something that I, you know, left out. It's usually kind of a, a sin of omission, give it, you know, as it were. So I'm really always aware of the fact that I want to get it to them and have time to review it, revise it before giving it to my editor. So that, that particular deadline is always in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you use to write? Do you use like a Word, uh, Word or do you use a writing software? Scrivener. I love uh, Scrivener. Oh, yeah, me too. Have you used it? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what I use. Yeah, no, it's funny. I used Word on the first uh, two, and somebody introduced me to Scrivener. I'm never going back, because especially... <laughs> It's just helpful. It's helpful for me to see all the scenes at once. Mm-hmm. You know how they have the there's a if those of you who haven't used Scrivener, it's a writing software, and on the left side of the screen is what they call the binder, and it shows you all of your screen your your scenes at once. And I sometimes uh, they call it helicopter writing, where sometimes I'll like like wake up with a particular scene in my head, but it's not necessarily the next scene in the book. So Scrivener really helps with that because I can stick that scene in and know where it comes in terms of, you know, act one or two or three. And and then sometimes I can write toward that scene. So that's really helpful. But the other thing I found interesting is a friend of mine, <clears throat> I was having difficulty with the first draft not getting into editor brain, you know, mm-hmm. not getting too critical about it and just letting it flow. And so a friend of mine suggested that I use, uh, there's these old... They're almost like a little weird laptop word processor. They're called Alpha Smarts. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know of them? Yeah, I, I have one. <laughs> oh, do you have one? Do you use it? Uh, you know, no, I haven't in like a year. <laughs> yeah, it works really well for me on first draft because I, it's you know, it's kind of hard to edit on, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no mouse, you can't kind of go back and change things, and you can only see you know three or four lines at a time. So I don't. I tend to move forward a little easier with it. It tends to kind of. It's almost like putting blinders on me and saying, nope, you got to keep going forward, forward, forward. Yeah, that's what had me excited about it at first, especially because it's not, in, it's not connected to the internet, so it's like distraction-free. But <laughs> but there's other distractions. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it didn't work distraction-wise as I thought it would. Yeah. So that's, that's a me thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so, you have, so your next book uh, comes out, uh, it's Ivy Get Your Gun, and that comes out in May, right? Yeah, May sixteenth, and it's uh, it's available for pre order right now. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm seeing that on Amazon. It's already available for pre order, yeah. and I'll have links to that. So, well, Cindy, I'm not going to take much more of your time here, and, and especially if you have that, uh, your dog must be getting a lancy now. <laughs> he actually is. Yes, <laughs> my husband has been kind of taking care of him during the, this uh, this podcast. Was so like, uh. but yeah, and I, I would love to. Um, if people are interested, I have I I think my newsletter is actually pretty fun. People really seem to like it. It's called the Slightly Silly Newsletter. Comes out once a month, and um, it's only got a very tiny amount of book news. The rest of it is I always have a picture of the best place to hide a dead body. 
usually something that makes me laugh. There's usually a quiz. Sometimes it might be like, um, how do you die in, how did you die in Victorian England? That was one of the later ones. And there'll be a, or a trivia question. Um, so they're, they're pretty fun. And if uh, I'd encourage people to, uh, to, to check it out and if, especially if they want to see dead bodies once a month. Yeah, and they can uh, sign up at the, your website, which is uh, cindybrownwriter.com. Yes, and it's uh, Cindy Brown Writer because there's lots of Cindy Browns Yeah, can you imagine? That, you couldn't get yeah. that domain. That would be a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a Playboy Bunny. Oh, really? You know that. That's the dot .com one? <laughs> yeah, there's Uh-oh. a Playboy Bunny, and there's a, well, I don't know who, I don't think there's actually anybody at them, but somebody owns them, and there's both a basket, a, a pretty semi, I shouldn't say famous, but there's a, a Playboy Bunny from like the 80s or 90s, and then there's a uh, basketball player, a, a female basketball player, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Cindy Brown, writer. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much for uh, taking time to talk to us about uh, your, your books and your writing. It's uh, been, uh, been a lot of fun. Well, thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests, as well as information, uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast. And uh, please do visit my author website at alanpeterson.com. I appreciate your support. And so until next episode, I will talk to you then.